I had two, two years of Greek. I actually had three. I failed one of them. But uh, I had three years of Greek. But in, in Greek class, there's some things that you just get some nuggets. And uh, one of the nuggets that uh, we got there was when Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. In the Greek, it's five negatives. It says, I will never, 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 never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's with us. He's Emmanuel. And uh, I love that song. I love the truth that uh, He is Emmanuel. We're going to take our Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. going to go to that familiar passage, Luke chapter 2. It is a privilege to be here. We drove up this morning, and Lord willing, we'll be driving back uh, to Sacramento this afternoon. We beat the weather, and so uh, didn't have any snow or anything on the way up, but probably we'll have some on the way back. And so uh, send up a prayer for us uh, for that uh, trip on the way back. I did not bring our sled, so uh, we'll just uh, have to deal without that. But, uh, but it is good to be here. Uh, as an evangelist, I don't get to preach too often in December. November, December is usually uh, kind of the quiet times for evangelists. And uh, those of you that don't know who we are, Evangelist Tim Schmidt, my wife Megan, we're from Sacramento. And uh, we uh, aren't uh, pastors of a church, but we're sent out of our home church, Faith Baptist Tabernacle. And uh, we uh, go all over the place, uh, go all over the country, of course, all over California, Nevada, Oregon, Arizona. But uh, we uh, go all over the place seeking to be a help and encouragement to churches. And we uh, host a men's meeting. Several of you men were at our men's meeting uh, there in November, the two-minute warning. And God just so blessed and worked in some great ways and that men's meeting is the biggest thing that uh, my wife and I uh, do for the year, our church does for the year, and God's hand's just been on it every single year, and, and typically we're very worn out after that's over, <laughs> and uh, it's a lot of work, and this year God didn't want us to rest yet. Uh, the next week we flew out to New Zealand, and we spent three weeks uh, on our first missions trip to New Zealand. And just this past week, now it's been, we've been back for over three weeks now, but just this past week, I now finally feel like I'm back. <laughs> uh, it's taken a long time to recover from all of that. And uh, we uh, had a great time in New Zealand. Several of the men said that are going to be praying for us. Whatever anybody prayed for, and that, those time, that time that we were in New Zealand, God answered. God was all over that time. God's at work uh, in the church, uh, the main church we were at, uh, is the, the pastor. His name is Dave Smith, and uh, Dave Smith and I uh, came as freshmen together at Ambassador Baptist College. We met; uh, we were 17 years old, and and uh, we were uh, dorm mates together. And all that Dave ever talked about was New Zealand. Uh, on his screensaver, on his computer, was New Zealand. The background of his computer was New Zealand. And he says, God's called me to be a missionary to New Zealand. And I said, well, God's called me to be, a to be an evangelist. And so his uh, major was missions. Mine was evangelism. And he wrote a paper for school uh, 20 years ago how that uh, he was a missionary in New Zealand and invited evangelist Tim Schmidt to come for revival meetings. And so this meeting that we had was 20 years in the making. And I didn't know that he had done that, uh, but he told me that before we got there. And, and uh, this uh, church where he's pastoring, uh, they've, uh, they've, I think they're 43, 44 years old. 
And they've had, um, I'm going to say, around 23 to 24 pastors. That's a lot of pastors. That's the most I've ever heard of any church. My friend has been there five years now. And he's one of the longest serving pastors. When he went on uh, a survey trip, he uh, met this veteran missionary. uh, Been there almost 30 years. And this veteran missionary was telling him, now, Dave, if you come to New Zealand, you have to stick it out. You're not going to see fruit if you just come for one or two years because that's usually what people do. He says, you've got to to stick it out and be faithful. And and, uh, my, my friend told me, he says, Tim... This veteran missionary, he didn't tell me anything I didn't know. He says, I'm not saying that pridefully. He says, Tim, I've been studying him my whole life. This is God's call in my life. This is what, you know, uh, the purpose God has for me. And, uh, and that veteran missionary I got to meet there in New Zealand. He's now been there for over 30 years. And this veteran missionary, uh, about uh, oh, 40 years ago, came to Faith Baptist Tabernacle and got saved at my home church. <laughs> and so this veteran missionary, uh, Bob McLean is his name, got saved at the same church I got saved at in Sacramento and has been there in New Zealand for over 30 years. And uh, one of the uh, Kiwis told me, they said, uh, Bob McLean's done more for missions in New Zealand than any other missionary that's been here. And, uh, and so it was just such a neat trip. And then, you know, my friend Dave Smith, we haven't... Uh, spend a lot of time together, of course, you know, different countries. We uh, talk a couple of times a year, but it was so neat to see this man who I knew, I mean, we're 17, 18 years old in college, and we're just kind of goofballs and whatnot, but uh, it's so neat to see this man now as a godly pastor, a godly man, and that has such a passion for God. I knew he had it back then, but oh, to see how he's grown. You know, faithfulness is such an encouragement just, just staying at it. And, uh, and it was such an encouragement to be there in New Zealand. God worked in some great ways. And, uh, and there's, there's many things I could share with you. I'm going to share this with you. Uh, we were at another church in Auckland and uh, just for a Sunday. And this uh, pastor was telling me about these two ladies uh, that uh, just they're, they're cut-ups. They love to have fun together and uh, somewhat best friends. And, and these two ladies... Uh, uh, had uh, had been coming to the church, one of them for about two years, and he says, two years ago we had a friend day where we were inviting, trying to get you know unsafe people to come to the church, and and this lady uh, she says uh, she says God I really don't know many people, uh, would you give me somebody that I could invite to friend day, and somebody uh, some this lady comes up in her apartment complex and comes right up to her and says you go to church don't you, and she says yes I do, and she says what church do you go to and she tells her, and she says, would you take me there this Sunday? Which was friend day. <laughs> and so this lady has you know, asked for God to give her somebody that she can invite to friend day, and God just put her right there. <laughs> and uh, that Sunday, that lady got saved. And uh, she's been going there, of course, baptized, growing, and uh, now they're close friends today. And Just so neat. Uh, you know, God's at work in different places, and, and it was just such an encouragement. And uh, so... Uh, certainly enjoyed our time in New Zealand and uh, what God did. I might share a, a few more things uh, during this message, but, uh, but I'm thankful for uh, godly friends. I'm thankful for God's call and God's purposes in our lives and what He has for us. And 
We look here in Luke chapter 2. Now, it's been a couple of years since I have uh, preached out of Luke chapter 2, and this is a familiar passage. Uh, it's uh, the Christmas story. And maybe you have uh, have this memorized. Uh, maybe you've you've you could quote this to me this morning. Uh, but even as we we've heard this before, we've memorized this. I want to encourage you. Let's look at this passage once again and see it with fresh eyes and see it anew. Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. It's neat that uh, Meg and I were able to go to Israel several years ago. We were not able to go into the city of Bethlehem, but we saw it uh, from the outside. What we read about, you could go there. You could see that you could go into the city of Bethlehem. It says, To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And I remember being in the bus and the, uh, the tour guide pointing out, you know, this may be where the shepherds were at uh, on this, uh, this field. And verse 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for this tremendous passage of Scripture, such a key passage in all the Bible. Lord, thank You for sending Your Son to die upon the cross to shed His blood for our sins. Lord, thank You for the resurrection, for the power over sin, over the grave. Thank You for the eternal life that we have through Christ. Thank You for sending us a Savior. Lord, I praise You for Your humility. Lord, your humility is a direct rebuke against Satan's pride. Lord, thank you for humbling yourself uh, here into this lowly manger, into this stable, and, and humbling yourself and being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Lord, thank you for your humility. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for your word, that your word is truth. Lord, that we can absolutely depend uh, everything, our eternity, upon it. Lord, I praise You for the Word of God. I praise You for the salvation that we have. Thank You, Lord, for this church. Lord, You have gathered us together for a purpose. Lord, none of us, uh, I didn't expect being here today, uh, uh, but You have orchestrated all of us being in this room together for this time. And so, Lord, as we open up Your Word, I pray that You'd open up our hearts. 
Lord, we need hearts of tenderness. Uh, We need to hear from You. I pray the Holy Spirit that You'd speak to each and every one of us specifically. Uh, Lord, that we would leave this place knowing what it is that You would have for us to do. And I pray that we would be obedient to the response of, of Your leading and working in us. Lord, I need Your help in delivering this. And we all need Your help in listening and obeying what it is that You have for us. Lord, I do pray that You would exalt Yourself here in this hour. Lord, may You exalt Your Word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We look here in chapter 2, in verse 1, the introduction. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Often we can just run right through that introductory part and think, well, that's not really that important. I mean, it's, uh, there's not really much information there. But every word of God is inspired. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so there's a purpose God has in everything that He has laid out here in chapter 2. It says that there was a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now God had a purpose in, in using Caesar Augustus to bring about the location of Jesus Christ's birth. God had a purpose in the location of Christ's birth. Now we see this man, Caesar Augustus. Caesar is a surname, uh, kind of like President Washington uh, or Caesar Salad. Uh, no, uh, you know, you, some of you might have a Caesar Salad today. And, and, uh, but uh, Caesar is a surname, and then Augustus means honorable. And this is where we get... Our monthly calendar, August, is from Caesar Augustus. Uh, So August, honorable, and this was a decree that he's sending out that all the world or all those in that that, uh, large region should be taxed. And this is uh, like a census, so they need to count. and, uh, And of course, there are taxes paid and things of that nature. And it says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Now, he is, uh, he is issuing this decree of enrollment, but this was nothing unusual or extraordinary. This is just something that happens from time to time. It was one of the most common acts of a political ruler. And Caesar Augustus himself was one of the most methodical of men. This just seems to be just another thing to do, and and yet, who can doubt that Caesar Augustus, in issuing this decree, was accomplishing a predetermined purpose of the Ancient of Days. Such a common time, a common thing that's happening, but God's in the background of it all. God's using Caesar Augustus, using this taxation to bring Mary and Joseph and the babe to Bethlehem, as was prophesied in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. This Caesar Augustus, who was a great ruler, but he is, now nobody reverences him today. No one pays taxes to him. He's passed off the scene. Kings come and kings go. But the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, remains. Megan and I were able to go to the Auburn Symphony a few weeks ago, and we heard the Handel's Messiah. 
And my dad's favorite song of all time, and they were with us, uh, is the Hallelujah Chorus. And you just proclaim those that truth. King of kings, Lord of lords, and He shall reign forever and ever. And it's a wonderful truth. Of course, the Handel's Messiah is all Scripture. All out of the King James as well. Uh, it's all Scripture. And it is proclaiming that truth that He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Psalm, 50, or Psalm 75, verse 7. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. This little babe in Mary's womb. Well, many of us worship Him today and call Him our Savior. Revelation 4 and verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Oh, He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. This man, Caesar Augustus, has passed off the scene, but our God still remains. He lives forever. And so the purpose of this is to bring about Joseph and Mary and the babe to this town of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem's a small town. Uh, there's not much going on in Bethlehem. It's right near Jerusalem. And uh, I grew up, I still live in Sacramento, but I grew up in Sacramento. Uh, 1.8 million people. Uh, uh, grew up, I guess, a city boy. And I remember going to North Carolina to college and we, I remember driving into the town of Shelby. Now, I thought Shelby was a small town. Uh, it's, it's actually quite big now. It's grown. I think they have over 20,000 people. And when I entered into Shelby, there was a, uh, says, welcome to the town of Shelby, birthplace of Earl Scruggs. And I'm like, who's that guy? Uh, I don't know who he is. And it was not advantageous of me to ask one of the locals, who's Earl Scruggs? I've never heard of him. Uh, this city boy from Sacramento, they, they, they didn't think very well of me then. I didn't know who Earl Scruggs was. Maybe you don't know who he is either. Uh, but you've heard, uh, you've heard one of his songs. If you've ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies uh, theme, uh, he helped write that. He was a bluegrass player. Uh, and he was born uh, there in Cleveland County. And, and uh, he's uh, you know world famous and... And uh, I didn't know him at all, uh, there, being there in California. I didn't listen to bluegrass uh, at that time, and I, and I didn't know anything about Earl Scruggs. But, but this town's boasting of Earl Scruggs, that he came from our town. Uh, I remember uh, being in a town of Wilson, Kansas and for the summer, and that, uh, that uh, town was a population of 800. And they uh, have on their sign uh, the Czech capital or Czechoslovakian capital. And I'm like, okay, of what? The world or United States? What is this? And uh, they said the Czech capital of Kansas. And, uh, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't know if I would boast in that. I'm not sure. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you think these, you know, some small towns, okay, Earl Scruggs. But if there was ever a town to boast in something, if there was ever a town that said something significant happened, in this town, it's the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small town, but God did a great thing that day. Micah 5 and verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee 
Shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting? This is something they can boast in. That Bethlehem uh, uh, was the place that God had chosen to have the birth of Jesus Christ. And so God had a purpose in the location. But then God had a purpose for Joseph and Mary. Uh, Joseph gets engaged to Mary. He says in verse number 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, if Mary was not with Joseph, she wouldn't have any reason to go to Bethlehem. But because they have gotten together, they're engaged, now she has a purpose to go to Bethlehem because she is with Joseph. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. We see the announcement of Christ's birth. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took him unto his wife. And, uh, and knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Here is Joseph. He finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now immediately, this is a trial. This is a big deal. This is a huge situation. They have, uh, they have uh, not come together yet. They're, they're, they're engaged to be married. And so... On the outlook of it, it seems that Mary has committed adultery. Joseph says, it says that he's a just man, not willing to make her a public example. What he could have done was gone to the magistrate, brought Mary before him, before that magistrate, and said, this woman has committed adultery. And she would be punished, and at the very worst, she would be killed. This is a huge deal if Joseph was not a just man. Mary is a, a godly lady and, and she has a, a great husband, a just husband. And so he doesn't want to do that to make her that public example. No, he, he sets her aside and, and puts her away so that she's not uh, uh, embarrassed and not punished. And it's amazing here, God appears to Joseph in a dream. Trying, uh, seeking to assure him that what has happened is not 
something that's been immoral, but it's been something supernatural. Something that God has done. I was working at Radio Shack when I was in college, and and, uh, my manager, he asked me, he said, "Uh, Tim, who do you think had the most faith in the Bible? Who do you think's the the man of most faith? And and, uh, and I said, well, I I guess Abraham, I don't know. And and, uh, and he says, I think it's Joseph. And I said, Joseph in the Old Testament or the New Testament? He says, nope, the New Testament. And uh, he uh, was a, a nominal Christian at best. And uh, he says, I think he had more faith than anybody else in the Bible. And I said, okay, uh, you know, why do you think that? And he says, well, just think of, of all that the talking that had to be going on about Joseph and Mary. All the gossiping. They wouldn't understand what was going on. And Joseph had to trust God. He had to have faith and be obedient to God. Now, I don't think that Joseph had the greatest faith in the Bible, but it did take some faith, didn't it? It took some faith to trust God, to believe Him, to what He, what he had said. And, and even uh, when He, uh, it says in uh, verse number 24, and then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And there's times in our lives that God may call us to do something that just may not seem to make sense. Maybe you don't understand it all. But God hasn't called us to understand everything. What He's called us to is obedience. Joseph obeyed God. Even though he may not have understood everything about him, he just trusted God and he obeyed God. Now, you think, well, if I had a, uh, an angel appear to me in a dream like that, I would obey God too. Uh, I mean, that's, that seems to be pretty solid. Yet, in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly divine fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw Him. And then verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 1, For He received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven... We heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. And then Peter says something that's just astonishing. Through the inspiration of, of the, the Holy Spirit, he says in verse number 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Even though they heard the voice of God, even though others have had, the, as Joseph had an angel appear to him, we have even a more sure word of prophecy. The Word of God. He says, Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first and no prophecy is of of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We have something better than an angel appearing to us in a dream. We have God's Word. And we can absolutely trust God's Word. We trust Him with our everything, with our eternal salvation through the Word of God. And so, God had a plan in all of this. And Joseph had to trust God, and he had to obey God. Even though it may not have made sense. Even though people may have misunderstood his journey. 
I, but you see God in the background of it all, don't you? You see God working all of these things out. We, we've already read this, the passage. We know what's going to happen. But at that time, they're not sure what's going to happen. So they're just taking one step at a time. They're walking by faith. How do we live the Christian life? By faith. We live it the same way we started it. We trust God. We obey God. We walk by faith. My friend Dave Smith in New Zealand, he, uh, out of all the, the personal friends that I have, there's no friend that I've had that seems to have had more opposition, more people misunderstand him than him. Now there's maybe other people in this world, but as far as my personal friends, he comes to Ambassador, as a, for instance. He falls asleep in class. He's fallen asleep in chapel. Uh, Brother Comfort, the, the president of the college, he calls him out in chapel. Dave, get up. Wake up. Wake up, Dave. Uh, and, you know, he's trying to wake him up. And he just seems so lethargic, so lazy. He didn't have a heart for God. He was only there for a couple of years and went on to, uh, uh, to his uh, church uh, started a Bible institute, went to that after that, but he didn't know it at the time, and none of the teachers knew at the time. He had sleep apnea. And when he got that fixed, now he's got energy, he's alert, <laughs> doesn't fall asleep. We didn't know that at the time. It wasn't a matter of his character. It was just something that was going on with him physically. Uh, throughout my time knowing him, he, uh, he was at a church, uh, and uh, serving in a church for about a year as an assistant uh, pastor and my friend Dave, he's a dreamer. He's a visionary. And he is also a writer. He loves to write and he writes many poems and things. And so he just, one night, he just writes down what he would do if he was the pastor of the church. He's not wanting to be the pastor of the church, but he's just dreaming. He's just thinking. And so he writes some things down and then he throws it away in the garbage can. Well, somebody in the church who's taking out the garbage found it. And it was the wrong person in that church. <laughs> and it blew up, and eventually Dave had to leave. <laughs> he didn't want to be the pastor. God's called him to be a missionary. <laughs> but they misunderstood him. He's going on in deputation, and there was a uh, missionary that he really respected. And this missionary uh, told him, uh, he says, Dave, you'll never make it to New Zealand. He says, the best thing you can do is, have, is raise your girls to go for you. Another impossible thing, they, they, his, him and his wife were, set, were told they'll never be able to have children. They have five. Uh, you know, I mean, just so many things that have happened. And yet, you know, he finally gets to New Zealand. And then uh, the government. Uh, the government doesn't want to approve visas. Uh, he has two children that, are, artist, that are, are autistic. So he's on deputation with one of those children. And, you know, they... Uh, Andrew, and Andrew comes in this church, and it's all red. Red pews, red seats, red carpet. And he just gets excited. He sees the red. But to everybody else, it seems like this kid's acting up. And it's being rebellious. Lady comes in and says to his wife, I can go get a wooden spoon out of the kitchen so you can discipline him. They didn't, you don't understand. He's autistic. And all throughout that I've known him, people have just misunderstood him. And you know, he has been knocked down so many times, but he just keeps going. He just doesn't quit. And he says, it doesn't matter. I mean, I know God's call in my life. I know God wants me in New Zealand. 
I know I don't know how it's going to work out, but someday he's going to put me in New Zealand, and God's done it. And then uh, this whole visa. Uh, ever since they've been there, they the uh, Andrew and Marianna, the two autistic children, they they've been denied these visas every single year, and they've had to go through these processes, and and unprecedentedly every time the New Zealand government has approved those visas through much fasting, through much prayer. The church has seen God do incredible things. And one of the, the men said to me, Tim, you in the States, you, you don't understand how much of an impossible thing. This is unprecedented what has happened and able to, for the Smiths to stay here in New Zealand. And uh, this uh, two months ago, he got the final approval to where now they can apply for residency. And it just throughout the time in his life, you know what he's done? He's just trusted God. He just sought to obey God. Even when people misunderstood him. You know, there may be some things that people misunderstand about you. They may misunderstand your journey. But that's okay. That journey's not for them. It's for you. And God knows. God sees all these things. God is at work in the background of your life. He's working these things out together for, his, uh, for our good and for His glory. He tells us in Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Perhaps a situation turned out that uh, you didn't expect. Uh, perhaps uh, there was an opportunity that you had to, that you wanted to do something, but it fell through. Remember, in all of our life, that God is in the background working in these in these situations, in these circumstances, and it's always best to follow God's plan. It's always best to just trust and obey. Someone said, "God's will is what you would choose if you knew all that God knows. If God were to sit down with you and lay out, here's here's my plan for you." You would say, I want that. God, that's what I want. God, I want to, I'm just going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. And this is what Joseph and Mary did. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It took faith for Joseph to be obedient, but it always takes faith to be obedient. It takes faith to walk with God. You can boil all of Christianity down to just trust and obey. Sometimes situations seem so confusing. Circumstances seem so confusing. What are you supposed to do? Trust God, obey God. That's it. That's our job. Now it's hard to do. Okay, It's simple, but it's hard to do. Trust God, obey God. And you can trust God in these hard times, the difficult times. Uh, it's going to be easier in the smooth sailing times. Uh, trust God, obey God. And so Joseph does that, and Mary is now, uh, uh, of course, protected because she has Joseph, and he's not going to expose her to the magistrate. And, uh, and now Mary is going down to Bethlehem. God's working in all of these things. And verse number 6 says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. You see, God had a purpose in sending Jesus Christ. 
He had a purpose in sending His Son. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Christ come? To seek and to save that which was lost. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you were to take this book and put it into a person, it would be Jesus Christ. If you were to take Jesus Christ and put it into a book, it would be the Holy Word of God. It, this, uh, this Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then it says He is full of grace and truth. I'm thankful for God's grace. This church, Grace Baptist Church, grace comes from God. And God's grace uh, that He gives to us, unmerited favor. Have you ever gotten something that you didn't deserve? <laughs> oh, God's grace. God has been so gracious to us. And then He says He's full of grace and He's full of truth. We are to speak truth. We're to have, speak truth and love. And Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He never lies. The devil is a constant liar. But God always tells you the truth. The truth sometimes is hard to hear. Such as when you go to a doctor and the doctor tells you that you have cancer. That's a hard truth to hear. But it, you're glad the doctor's told you the truth. Christ tells the truth. And the truth is that we're all sinners. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. It levels us all because we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners before a holy God. Heaven's a perfect place. And only perfect people can go there. None of us is perfect. None of us is, is worthy enough to get to heaven. There's no amount of good works we can do to, to make up for all the, the bad works that we've done. So he tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Death simply means separation. Separation from God for all eternity. And he says the wages of sin, the earnings of sin is death. But the gift of God. God wants to give you a gift this Christmas. God wants to give a gift. And He's many of us here uh, this morning, we've received that gift. And that gift is a free gift. And when you get a gift, it's, uh, it's not something that you've paid for. It's not something that you've worked for. It's not something that you've earned. It's something that someone else has paid for. Somebody else has worked for, somebody else has earned, but they're giving to you, you to it for free. It's a gift. And God wants to give a gift. That gift is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This gift, though it's free to us, was very costly to Him. Jesus Christ came to this earth, born in a manger, humbled Himself, the King of glory, coming to this, this lowly stable, and as one uh, uh, songwriter put it, uh, where else would a lamb be born? Uh, he would be born in a stable. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
which taketh away the sins of the world. And this man, this God man Jesus Christ comes, lives a perfect sinless life like none of us have ever done. And He then takes, uh, goes upon that cross and takes all of our sin upon Himself. He takes uh, your pride. He takes my anger. He takes your bitterness. Uh, he, took, he takes uh, my hatred. He takes all of our sins upon Himself. And He dies. He pays that wage of sin. He dies upon that cross. But then, three days later, He rose again. He resurrected. And He conquered sin and He conquered the grave. And so, just as Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us that by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So by this one, Jesus Christ, can we all be made alive? We Can we all be made righteous through Him? And so He tells us in Romans chapter number 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There was a time in my life where I realized that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus Christ to save me. And I turned to my, uh, from my sin, I turned to Christ, and I said, Lord Jesus, please, I confess to you, uh, I'm a sinner, and, and, uh, and I ask that you'd please forgive me my sins, come into my life, and save me. And I called upon God and asked Him to save me. You know what He said in Romans 10.13? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know that if I die today that I'm going to go to heaven, not because I'm a preacher, not because I grew up in a Christian home, uh, not, not because of any good that I have done. I'm going to heaven because I'm going through the one that is perfect, the one that is righteous, and that is Jesus Christ. And He promised to save me in Romans 10.13. Titus 1.2, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God wants to give you a gift this Christmas. That gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But then we think, what about us that know Christ is our Savior? God has a purpose for us as well. He has a purpose for your life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15. And that He died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us, What know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with the price, therefore glorify Him. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have a purpose to live for God. To live for His purposes, for His calling, for what He has for us to do. Why is God placed you here upon this earth? What is it that God has for you to do? My friend Dave, he's in New Zealand. He's living out God's plan. He told me as we are in the car, he says, Tim... I'm living the dream. <laughs> this is what I what I envision. This is my dream. This is this is it. He says I'm living the dream. And you and I will never be satisfied until we do what God wants us to do. All of the sins and all of our personal pursuits without God, it doesn't satisfy. No, the only thing that satisfies is living out his purpose, his calling for our life. You see for those of you in the church, that God has a purpose for you here. Maybe you're involved in some ministry. 
I challenge you to be the best that you can for the Lord in that ministry. Get better at it this next year. Seek to sharpen the skills and, and sheep, uh, seek to, uh, to, to have God's hand in your life in those ministries. Maybe you don't have a ministry or anywhere to serve. So maybe God's going to open up something for you to do here this next year. It may take you out of your comfort zone. What are we supposed to do? Trust and obey. In all areas and aspects of life, trust and obey. Maybe someone's here, God's been working in your heart towards full-time ministry. What you do to do is just surrender. God, I love you because of what all you've done for me. I want to just live my life as a thank you back to you. What is your Christmas gift to God? What is it that you're going to give to God this year? You see, God had a purpose in all of this. And my friend Dave, God is, he's, he's living out the purpose God has for him. This church, it's a small church, about 30 people, and yet God's all over it. And he's at, in a great, working in a great way. Now they're, uh, last I know, they're, they're averaging over 50 since the meeting. God's just, in a, just working in some powerful ways. And they've seen God exalt himself in greater ways than they've ever seen before. They've told him out of all the, the years, some of them have been there all 40-something years. They said out of all the time in the church, this is it. Right here, God's working the most. He's fulfilling the calling God has for him. Are you feeling, fulfilling God's calling in your life? One of my favorite many songs I have for Christmas, one of my favorite songs is in the bleak midwinter. One verse says, Our God, heaven cannot hold Him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when He comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. And then I love this verse. What can I give Him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? I give him my heart. What do you need to give to the Lord this Christmas? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.